Welcome, everybody. This is T-Bone, and the, we have a little special episode of the Don't You Forget About Me, the New Wave Music podcast. Uh, a special episode because we have a very special guest, Mr. Dave Faulkner from the Hoodoo Gurus. Welcome, Dave. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Hi, folks. Well, we're very thrilled to have you with us. So, Dave, let's jump into some questions here. Um, on the podcast, we do like to mention who's in the band. Uh, right. We feel that they deserve the credit, uh, you know, because uh, they're, really? they're the ones who do it. Oh, they do. <laughs> I think they do. Uh, so can you take just a moment and uh, tell sure. us about who's on the album and what their role is? Sure. Well, um, well, obviously, I'm the singer and main songwriter. I started the band first, and then about a year later, Brad Shepard joined on guitar, and he's still in the band, of course. And then about four years after that, Rick Grossman joined on bass, and then finally about, well, <laughs> he joined twice, actually. Nick, Nick Reith replaced Mark Kingsmill, who retired, but Mark came out of retirement, and so Nick went, went away again, but then Mark f- finally said, you know what, I really do want to retire, and he came back again. So Nick's been with us off and on for about six years, maybe. But uh, the last little while has been like three years, I'd say. Maybe, yeah, maybe more, maybe four. Um, so, so Nick Reith, Nick Reith on drums. Oh, and Nick's on drums. And uh, who's on bass? Yeah, Rick Grossman. Rick Grossman, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we, yeah. of course, have, have Brad on, on main guitars. Yeah, he's the lead guitarist. I'm kind of a right. rhythm guy. He, he plays rhythm too, of course, and I do occasional you know, little lead things, but they're very basic, whereas Brad's the kind of the technical genius. Oh, good. You know, and that kind of just actually leads me right into my next question. Uh, you've worked with Brad for so many years. Uh, yeah. What does he bring to the recording process? Um, well, all of us bring something, you know, and, and it's, it's nothing specific and say, you know, that he's in charge of this or that. It's just that we all together fit into this puzzle that is, you know, the Hoodoo Guru sound. And we just... Um, yeah. Kind of, you know, I mean, I might have an idea for a part on a bass or on the drums or on the guitar, but, you know, obviously that person's person, their playing personality will adapt that or you know, they'll play it just in their style and it either works or it doesn't. And that's something that, you know, we all feel with each other in the way we fit together. So we adapt things and work on them together. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, what the key of, you know, being in a, in a band is. You kind of get this kind of uh, this psyche that you all share. So we're all parts of the whole, really. There's no kind of like specific role that someone's, you know. But, you know, I guess you would say, though, Brad's in charge of, you know, leads and, you know, and, and, you know, those sorts of things, those fancy ideas that guitarists do, Um, you know, just as Rick's in charge of the bass and, you know, Nick's in charge of the drums. But as I say, the the, the roles aren't that specific, aren't that, you know, unique. Everyone kind of gets to have a bit of input to each other's ideas. Would you say that, uh, especially with three of the four of you having worked together for so long, that you kind of can read each other in the studio? And um, yes and no. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's it's more the thing you know, read each other. I mean, it's more that we we just feel each other. You know, I mean, yeah, and and, and when we're and when it's working, we all know it. So it's not that you know someone. Um, uh, necessarily can kind of read each other's mind and then therefore right. come up with something that would automatically be what the other person would have imagined if they'd had the time to think of it. No, it's not like that. Oh. Uh, but, it, it, you know, I mean, there's some of that, but it's more just the fact <laughs> that, you know, just the way we, we um, you know, when it's, when, it's, when it's all working together, you, you all know it. And that's the thing, that's that, group's, that group dynamic where the, uh, I've always said this, the band itself in a way 
sits above us all, you know, that kind of unified consciousness of the band itself in a way self-selects self what we all contribute to it. And, um, right. you know, so that's, that's what, that when we're tuned into that, then it, then it all works. But other times you're going, well, it's not, it's not hanging together. So, yeah. <laughs> so the band, and, you know, so as a songwriter, I'm the main songwriter. I mean, Brad's written a couple on the new album uh, by himself, but um, songs that I write, you know, sometimes I don't know whether the band's going to play them or not. Um, it, you know, I just write them for myself and I, don't, and I get to the rehearsal and sometimes I will think a song will be really great for the band and it won't quite take off as, as I imagined it. Huh. Whereas something else where I was, you know, wasn't thinking it would necessarily align to what the band would normally be into will suddenly kind of click and it will work. And so, you, as I said, the band sometimes, you know, knows more about itself than I could possibly know as a songwriter, even though you think that okay. theoretically I would be determining it by writing the songs. You know, it doesn't happen that way. Okay. Steve? So, Dave, the new album uh, opens up with the track Early Opener. Um, <laughs> as we mentioned in our review of this album, this is a great track. It's kind of a great ambience way to set the mood or the tone of the album, almost like you're kind of in a small club or a pub waiting for the band to come on stage. I even love how there's a Hoodoo Gurus track kind of playing on the PA in the background. Well, that's cool. not a PA. No, that's, no that, you actually kind of misinterpreted what's happening there. That is a pub, <laughs> literally is a real pub. And it's a pub that, it's a, it's a pub that I go to. And they, and they are my friends. You can hear talking in the foreground there of the of the of the. And, and in fact, I was sitting right there just recording them. I just wasn't speaking, um, but that was just their regular pub conversation. And then the the concept of of that uh, the music you hear is actually supposed to be that I'm in the back corner of the room somewhere, being totally ignored by everybody, being reduced to basically a lounge singer or you know like the, the you know the. The singing pot plant, as they call them, in the you know in the restaurant, you know the guy singing in the corner with his guitar yeah. and his drum machine, uh, and uh, and so I'm sing and I'm singing one of my old hits because obviously I'm a washed up has been and you know that's all I can do is is be like you know try to bring back whatever I was famous for way back, and um, and then I, there's a moment where it pauses and you and you hear just dead silence because no one in the crowd's listening or paying any attention at all. There's no you know, no vibe for the music at all. And then the real drums come in and the song starts oh. proper. So it, for me, yeah. the concept the concept was, you know, taking a little bit, the, taking the piss out of the idea that, you know, uh, you know, where has-beens are washed up and no one cares anymore and, <laughs> and we only matter because of some old song that no one remembers very well. You know, so that was kind of me. And, and I, I thought of it as the, the term I used was um, it's like a bogan Sergeant Peppers. Um, you know the opening of Sergeant Pepper's by the Beatles that has uh, the sound of an orchestra tuning up and then uh -huh. and there's an audience sort of hush, you know, like the, the hubbub of an audience settling into their, their plush seats in the, in the theatre. You sort of you can tell it's kind of like a ritzy kind of theatre or something. Um, well, we, we kind of did the opposite. We were like in a, you know, crappy pub somewhere and I'm in the corner and, you know, it's just me and no one cares. And, and um, you know, because... Uh, and bogan is a term we use. Um, in England, they use the term chav. You know, um, basically, it's kind of a, uh, like, I don't, redneck doesn't really compare. It's not really the same kind of thing. But it's that idea of like a working man's bar where, you know, there's no airs and graces and it's pretty low, you know, pretty, not scuzzy, but, you know, just nothing, not, not glamorous, you know. It's yeah. just a, <laughs> so, so, so I'm kind of down on my luck in a sense, you know, and, and, and also because, you know, there's a lot, Australian music has always been famous, but especially from the 80s sort of era, there was a lot of huge pubs where bands would play, like Midnight Oil and, you know, In Excess, and everyone would play these pubs and, you know, get huge crowds. And it was a, it was a big scene. And um, 
And there's a sort of pejorative attached to that where people describe bands like us that succeeded in that environment as being pub rock, as if oh, somehow, yeah. the, as somehow the music you played was defined by where you played it, you know. And <laughs> so I was kind of, again, having a little bit of a kind of lampooning that notion that, you know, I'm just a pub rocker and I'm stuck in a pub now with, you know, for my sins, you know, and but I'm way past my use-by date. Steve, so that, that, so it's, that's a whole lot of stuff for one second intro, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. That's great. <laughs> Steve, can you imagine having been in those pubs back then and watching the Hoodoo Gurus or Midnight Oil or NXS? Oh, or, man, it was any yeah. other it, bands on stage? It, it was incredible. And the thing was, you know, yeah. th- th- these pubs were jumping like seven nights a week. And 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 the reason I think that that it used to exist is because of um, there was no cell phones, there was no social media. <laughs> so I think you know if you want to go and meet someone and perhaps you know you know get a, a new romance going or a you know a, a, a casual acquaintance, you'd go see the band where you like to meet someone who had the same kind of you know attitude to life as you had by seeing the music that you liked. You, you kind of identified that that'd be someone that'd be one of your people would be at that same place. And so people would do that instead of, you know, swapping left or right. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great way to start the album. Uh, I lo- really like that one on there. When you, record, when you recorded the new album, how much control did you have on, on creating this new album? It's what your new one, first one since uh, 2012, right? Yeah. Well, in fact, this is the first album that I've been listed uh, specifically as a producer on. Um, but I, you know, other many other albums have said produced by the Hoodoo Gurus, but the truth of the matter, it's always been me doing that. Um, and so, and I, I actually said to the guys, "Look, I think you know, I'm the one that has to sort of spit do all these extra hours, you know, and 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 uh, you know, make all these calls and all that sort of stuff. So I wouldn't mind having my name on it this time for once. <laughs> so that's what we did. But then the funny thing was, I was going to be an exclusive producer, but we worked with a guy called Wayne Connolly, who's a well-known engineer producer himself, and. And I'm no engineer, but um, but Wayne is someone that's been involved with a lot of great Australian bands, um, indie stuff, and you know he's been around forever and not not forever, but he's been been very involved in, in a lot of great stuff. And um, we never worked together, and it's funny. And so we started working on the on the on the album, and after we did the first single, and I think I was listed as a producer on the, the single cover, but. I came to realise not long into the project that, in fact, I really think Wayne was contributing a lot more than just being an engineer. So I, you know, said let's make him a co-producer as well. So, um, so that's, that's nice produced by no, well, just it just felt right. So uh, it's produced <laughs> by me and Wayne. And um, but as far as uh, you know, control over you know what we were recording, the Huda Gurus have had one hundred percent total control over every aspect of their uh, recording, our recordings, since our fourth album onwards. Because um, we sued our record company after our third album, Blow Your Cool, and we got out of that contract. And while we were fighting this court case, uh, which was really, really long and expensive, um, we started what became our fourth album. Just as a, We originally planned it as just doing demos in the studio, but it was a, a good recording studio. And, so, and we had, uh, for an engineer, we had our, the producer of our first album, uh, Alan Thorne. And so, we, you know, we were making really high-quality recordings as we were, you know, d- doing these demos. And... It just ended up becoming the record, and the record that album was virtually finished before we finished this lawsuit. In fact, we had a new record company. In fact, the label who distributed the label we sued, uh, EMI Records, um, wanted to sign us up, and um, so basically we gave them the album. You know, they hadn't heard a note when they gave us a record contract. And we said, "Well, here's the album," and we've gone that way ever since. You know, we did, we never give demos to record companies uh, ever. And we never yeah. asked their permission for what to record or 
or who to use as a producer or, you know, where we were going to record it. We just basically get the budget off them or we agree on that. And then we do all the record. And then afterwards, after it's finished, we say, well, what do you think? You know, which song do you want to make a single or what order do you want to release in the singles? We usually know what we think of singles and sometimes we've been quite wrong in our, <laughs> our opinions about that. We've had some pretty crazy singles over the years. Oh, a, yes. song called, a song called Big Deal uh, comes to mind. That was a single, believe it or not. If you listen to that song, you wonder what the hell we were thinking. And we love it as a song, but it was never going to be a single. I mean, as far as like a radio station of any kind of, you know, other than the most <laughs> deep dive into your, you know, hardcore, you know, alternative music sort of station might play it, but everyone else would be running a mile from it. But uh, so basically we had no one you know, ever looking over our shoulder at any point of our career. And we also designed the artwork. You know, we, you know, we obviously get real artists to do it, but it's our concepts. And right. so we, we aren't packaged by anyone in any sense. <laughs> that must be refreshing. It is. It is. Because, you know, I mean, you hear the horror stories. And then, you know, it's, it's, everyone always imagines, you know, that that, that, that that sort of thing can't happen. Um, but we've had the, you know, absolute control. Um, there was a band from Australia called Mental as Anything. Oh, who, yes. uh, who came before us and, and you know, still going actually in, in one uh, – actually, are they still going? They can't be because, no, sorry, they're not still going um, oh. because, unfortunately, one of the members died recently. He was the last one that was actually uh, keeping the band going. Um, but um, uh, they they had a, world, a, a big hit in Europe, number one in Europe, with a song called Live It Up. And this is a band that had been, you know, quite successful in Australia and had a very sort of long, you know, you know, established career, really. I mean, and then they broke through to Europe and it was fantastic. Everyone's really happy for them. Next album, though, they just got treated like crap by the record company because they kept saying, where's the next live it up? We don't hear it. Go back and do some more demos and write some more songs. And they just kept them, put them on this treadmill of horror of, you know, making them rework and come up with more ideas. And it's just awful. You know, that's the reward they got for their success. Instead of getting more freedom to be themselves, they were forced to kind of, you know, conform to a record company's ideas who never had any idea in the first place. Yeah. You know, they didn't, they didn't tell them to write that song. They came up with that. You know, that's true of every band. You know, you can't, you can't repeat your successes. All you can do is keep, you know, the magic alive and hopefully that same thing that produced that will, come, will happen again. Right. So anyway, we haven't had to worry about that, you know. Our, our, our faults and our... Our successes are all ours and no one else's fault. <laughs> so on the on the new album, I read that you were writing. You wrote this because of I think because of your tours got kind of canceled, as most everyone else's did on in 2020. How much did 2020 influence the album? It, to me, I can clearly kind of see some themes and songs like "World of Pain," "Get Out of Dodge," <laughs> and "Carry On." Well, well, uh, "Get Out of Dodge" and "Carry On" are quite contemporary, especially "Get Out of Dodge." Um, World of Pain, to be honest, is is not about uh, COVID or anything. It's about me just being, you know, a drunken loser. So, you know, too, too often in my life, you know, and I and I've had those things that are in the song happen to me. You know, I've actually been out in a in a, in a dodgy nightclub somewhere, and someone's punched me in the face because uh, I was dancing too close to his girlfriend. Um, so you know, it's it's it's, so it's misadventure that song's about, and also you know hangovers. You know that's the big thing. You know we've we've uh, too many hangovers, and and uh, <laughs> the song's about that kind of world of pain. When you wake up in a world of pain, often is that was how we describe you know having a hangover. You know. But um, the song, the album's actually written. All the songs were written uh, around the time of the album, so we didn't. I don't. I don't save up 
old songs that are, you know, I don't write whole songs and have them in my trunk, you know, as the saying goes. No, I, there was there was one song came from from 20 years ago, though, uh, the song called Settle Down, and that was one I wrote around the time of, of Max Shower, and um, it was a song I always loved. The band had never actually uh, rehearsed at it before, and I, it's just, uh, for some reason it got overlooked at that time of that, that recording uh, by me. Um, but I'd always had a soft spot for it, and... Um, and it's funny because that song is all about growing old and being irrelevant. Again, yeah. you know, that, that's a theme. So you can <laughs> hear me bringing back, but that's specifically a song about it. And um, it's funny because it was 20 years ago I wrote it, and, of course, I'm a lot older and a lot more less relevant now, you know, 20 years <laughs> later than I was back then. So because, as we know, the older you get, the less relevant you become. It's automatic. It's just, and you can't change it. Um, <laughs> it's just the rule, the rule of the pop industry. But – and. But um, the other songs were all written basically uh, at the time. And um, yeah. we started the album, we started recording actually before COVID hit. We did the song called Answered Prayers as a single in late 2019. Oh. And we had decided this time to do the album as a series of singles instead of uh, just recording everything at once. We wanted to do it in discrete recording sessions, just focusing on a couple of songs because we just like the idea of um, being a bit more... Um, what's the word, bespoke, you know, when they make suits, they call it bespoke tailoring. We want to be a bit more like that, focusing on the specific small thing and not, you know, try to, you know, and, and in a sense let the atmosphere of that session be unique to itself and, and not have the whole thing kind of be merged into one kind of super session. And that was and that was something we did on our very first album. Um, and that back then it was because we weren't popular enough to have an album come out straight away. So they wanted us to do a single first to test the waters and get more famous and then, do another single and tour again and eventually, you know, we softened the market up such that we could release an album and people would even, you know, actually know it, it existed, you know, because most people started to hear about us, you know. So uh, this time, though, it wasn't about that, though I did have in the back of my mind perhaps an element of of um, uh, rebooting the band a little bit because, you know, with Nick on drums, you know, that was a new change to us after having Mark Kingsmill since our second album. That was a huge, uh, you know, change in our chemistry and it was something I wasn't, absolutely certain was going to work because, you know, we hadn't recorded with Nick, you know, we'd done, you know, gigs and, and enjoyed playing with him, but it's another thing to come up with ideas and to play together and have new materials and have that, uh, you know, communication is, is, a, is a separate thing, I think. So um, that's why we did one single first and then, you know, we, we planned on doing the next single uh, early this, in 2020, but unfortunately, and we'd written, I'd written um, Get out of Dodge and carry on. And we, we knew one of those was going to be single, as it turned out, they both were. Um, and we were getting ready to record those. And we had the sessions booked and everything. And of course, suddenly lockdown, Australia went very strict on the lockdown. And we weren't allowed out of our houses unless we went to get, you know, medical supplies or groceries once a week. You yeah. couldn't have a guest in your house. There's only, uh, you, you, you couldn't um, go past five kilometers away from your house uh, for any reason. So, yeah. uh, uh, unless it was for work, um, you know, and the work had to be something that was actually, um, uh, you know, like for like essential services because most other jobs you weren't allowed to go to. It was quite extreme for three months. Oh. And uh, we so we didn't even see each other for three months apart from um, over Zoom. So uh, that was the only sort of, that was a big, huge sort of stumbling block. But, um, you know, eventually we got to the point where we started to, to um, feel secure enough and, you know, they allowed us to, to you know, to do more, uh, you know, rules were relaxed a little bit. And also we knew, because we didn't have the vaccines until last year in Australia. 
they took a long time to actually approve vaccines here. And so it, it, we were really operating on a COVID zero policy as Australia. We had our borders were closed. It was very extreme. And, um, you know, for example, I come from Perth, Western Australia, which is about, you know, two and a half thousand miles away from where I live here in Sydney. And um, I haven't been, I, I was able to, there was, the, the borders opened for a little while between states uh, in the middle of last year. And I managed to go over there. We did one gig. So I went back for three days, but I haven't basically been back to Perth for two and a half years. So um, I, I, I can go now. I, I just, just happens I have to wait now till some work is over. I'm going to go back for a couple of months. But um, but it's been very extreme. So, um, yeah, it was that. So we, but we trusted each other that had been safe and that we weren't going to, you know, we, no one knew, you know, if, if it was the end of the world at first, you know, are we all going to die? And, and um, you know, it was just such an unknown thing. And, and we eventually got, as I said, felt secure enough that we could actually get ourselves into a studio plus uh, Wayne and the studio we were working at, we, we trusted them to be very secure because I know the uh, owner of that studio's father had cancer and was very concerned about, you know, infection control and making sure he didn't bring anything back to, you know. So we we, we got to a core of people we could trust and we, we knew that we could work together. And that's when we started recording again and, um, and continued on that way. Um, so that was the main thing that COVID did for us was, I guess, you know, it interrupted things. Perhaps the extending of time had some kind of benefit. I can't tell you for sure because it's hard for me to know. I mean, I, I don't know if it affected the way I wrote songs. Um, the songs are very personal this time. I mean, they, they always have an, a very strong personal thing under them um, and sometimes it's, it's a bit less obvious to people. Um, but here the, here I've made it quite obvious. The songs are quite personal. You, you can hear that. Um and specifically, um, you know, like, you know, writing the first person certain songs. and, and um, But that, I don't know whether it was because of COVID and having time to myself to think about my, my issues or, there, to be honest, there were things that had been going on in my life for the last few years that were kind of, you know, nagging at me in my head and kind of things that had been preoccupying me for quite a long time and, like answered prayers that's that's a song about a terrible situation oh. that, that was near me um you know it's about an abusive relationship and there was one it's, yeah. it's based with the people i know very well and that was something that i was experiencing for five years seeing that happening and when Great that song. song when that song you know when i wrote those words it all came pouring out all at once you know that i wrote the words almost as fast as you can read them um and i virtually didn't change a word afterwards it was just kind of like all there and it kind of shocked me but um, so that wasn't really COVID-induced um, and, and, and some of that situation had other sort of uh, ramifications that, that uh, led to other statements on the album as well. You know, so there, it's, a, it's not a concept album about the miseries of Dave Fortner, but parts of it do connect to each other. Sure. <laughs> not sure so if I answered the question properly, but that, that's sort of what was going on. So, uh, yeah, COVID did influence, but... I don't know if it actually is the substance of the music, more just the practicalities, I think, more, more importantly, I think. Sure, sure. Well, and this is going to be the last pandemic question. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Imaginary Friend for me really did right. kind of remind me of the pandemic. Uh, is there any sort of connection with the pandemic on that one? Or as the songwriter, did it have a different meaning to you? It has a different meaning. I mean, the song is, um, it seems kind of whimsical, um, but it's actually about... Uh, um, the end of a really strong friendship, actually, where the person that was very present in your life suddenly isn't and you kind of start to doubt, 
just how true that friendship ever was. So that's so I use the, the you know the idea of a, an imaginary friend as a kind of almost a yeah kind of a darker way of expressing that 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 oh, it's idea. A great song. But it, but yeah, it's, thank you. Um, yeah, so that's what that's about. Um, yeah, so, 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 so there's no specific lyrics what I'd say were COVID related. The closest one, and everyone always points to this one, and then in fact the video almost appears to be very overtly referring to the COVID uh, pandemic is the song "Carry On," and. Um, that song is funny, but the video, it's about a nurse and the travails of a you know, frontline health worker uh, and, you know, they, they lose a patient uh, as a course of a regular day and, you know, and, the, and just the emotional toll that takes on them and the people and all the people that are connected to, you know, in the, in the various roles in the hospital and how, you know, it's basically trying to, you know, show the, what happens underneath the, the hood of, you know, a professional person who obviously does that as a living, you know, dealing with life and death situations. But, and we take it for granted on the outside, you know, as a, you know, the general public, we, we see these people with it's just, you know, fire, firemen, you know, police, you know, people who work for the police, whatever. These are, you know, frontline workers and we just take it for granted that they can do their job professionally and, you know, that's what they do. But obviously they pay a huge price, these people, because they deal with very emotional things and they see things that you probably would not wish on your worst enemy. Um, and I've, you know, my, I've got friends who do all those different jobs, and they've got PTSD. Many of them for you know various things they've had to experience. My sister-in-law is a nurse, uh, career nurse. So actually, but I, mean, I actually thought of that video before the uh, pandemic. It was funny, you know. I had this idea for this, this, but um, uh, it, when we did the, the video, kind of had this sort of the the, the person that that ends up uh, the patient that 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 expires actually is uh, having breathing difficulty. So. It's not hard to imagine that could be like a COVID reference, but it's right. not meant to be that specific. But uh, the song itself does have a strong element of what we've all been going through, which is, you know, like you're doing a really difficult job and people around you probably are even making it harder for you. They don't respect, you know, don't, don't uh, acknowledge the contribution you're making or they're interfering in you trying to do your job and making it harder, whatever it is, you know, and all you can do is, kind of you know batten the hatches down and just plow on and do your best you know because you have to do something and you that's if you know that's your role is to do this job and you know whether they like it or not you know or whether you like it or not you just got to do your heart try your hardest and best you can and as long as you can look yourself in the eye at the end of the day then uh, that's really all that they should be able to expect of you um and that's the songs about that basically you know carrying on Despite the you know the slings and arrows, whatever of outrageous fortune, um, but again, not specifically about pandemic, but bloody hell, it might as well be because it's it's exactly what we've all been feeling. You know, we just oh, yeah. you know just try our hardest and hope for the best and carry on. Yeah, carry on, Steve. So, Dave, on the track, was I supposed to care? I need to ask: Was the guitar riff or chord sounding was that kind of like a tribute to Aerosmith's "Dream On"? Was no, I mean it's funny. I had, I, I had the lift. I feel terrible about this, and I haven't even checked back to hear it. I must have heard that song. I'm not a huge heiress this man. I've got, I've got toys in the attic, um, but I, it's not on that, is it? It's not. On, it's on the. It's, not, it's on an album called Dream One, isn't it, or something? Um, What's the album that's so. on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't even know that album. But um, no, Brad said afterwards. I said someone just. I did my first interview, and someone said, did, "Was that about Aerosmith's Dream One?" I'm like, "What?" 
I had no idea. And he said, you'll, you'll hear that a lot. <laughs> so, but um, no, fun enough, the thing that, that I was thinking when I you know, was we were recording it and uh, doing that song was um, to remind me of the Beatles for some reason, like a, oh. a Beatles ballad. Yeah. I can't say which one, it just, but I felt Beatlesque to me. Um, so, but Aerosmith have a bit of Beatles in them anyway, so maybe, you know, I was tapping into that side of them. But, uh, no, it wasn't specific. I think the two first chords are very similar or something, even the way it's sort of very quiet. I'm not sure. But I have, yeah. as I say, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the melody's similar. You know, I don't, I, mean, I don't think it is from what I'm told. But, but um, I mean, chords, I mean, they're, not, they're, not, they're not particularly, you know, unusual chords. Yeah. Um, uh, but the song, the song is actually um, me. The idea of the song for me is about um, trying to speak to men mainly um, because we are very bad at expressing our emotions and, um, you know, that whole thing about, you know, uh, often a man, a man, his only person he can really unburden himself to is his, his partner. And when that relationship goes south, they're left with all this terrible, you know, emotional weight that they can't express and they won't tell their friends because men don't speak well about these things to each other and often this can make things go very dark and, and lead to often, you know, some terrible things can happen or also just, you know, self-destructive things can happen. And, you know, male suicide, as we know, is epidemic and, and men are, are three times more likely to succeed at suicide than, than women. I mean, women attempt suicide a lot, which is awful, but um, men attempt and succeed at suicide a lot, which is terrible. And I was try- hoping that this song would kind of, I want to acknowledge uh, the pain that this, this, this person was going through, but I also want to make them uh, not have the refuge of blaming other party as being, you know, the, the, the source of their discontent. It's like, no, this is, this is your issues that you have to kind of get over and, and figure your way through. And, you know, there's no right or wrong, you know, that, you know, that, that, that's, that's gone. And that, that was, that, that's part of the lyric in the second verse. And I wanted, I didn't want to have that, you know, indulge in blame and, and, you know, retribution or whatever, you know, or, or anger, but acknowledge the, you know, the, the feelings of being, you know, maybe slightly gypped by, you know, the, 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 your lot in life and what's happened in this relationship. You might've felt unappreciated or whatever you've taken advantage of, but, it's mainly to have to try and get someone help someone hopefully through that process of grieving for a, a, a lost relationship and move to the next point, which is acceptance and you know progressing past it and going on to the next phase of their life rather than being stuck in the past of something they can't fix. And that's what the song's for. Um, I don't know if it's going to work um, because uh, you know. Who knows if, if, if it's gonna if it's gonna if it's gonna register with people that are going through that in in the right way. Um, I think I I did say something in there which I don't think is what they recommend you say, but I just felt that is what you should say. Um, I forget what the lyric is now that, that I was thinking of that for. Um, uh, yeah, I forget what the specific specific thing. I should look it up, but. Um, anyway, it was just me trying my hardest to um, yeah speak to these men and to make them realise that that. They should express themselves to their to their right. friends and to help them through this situation, and not just bottle everything up and have it turn toxic. That's a great message. Thank you. Keep on. But it's not Aerosmith. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I but I hope it's, I mean I, I I know that's a very famous Aerosmith song and people love it and you know I hope they don't feel like I've you know taken advantage of Aerosmith or you know cop- copied something from. Because I had no idea of that. 
but you know, I love Aerosmith. I think you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that actually to have that kind of slight hint of Aerosmith. I mean, you know, I don't mind having a flavor of someone else's music in it. Just that this wasn't meant to be that way. It just happened well, that way. A little tribute, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as you know, like you know, I've got a very overt, overt tribute to uh, Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground in the last song, "Got to Get You Out of My Life." I mean, that is yeah. straight oh, yeah. out. You know, me just trying to evoke that flavor because I love it so much, and I and I, you know, I love Lou Reed's, you know career and okay. um uh so i want but at the same time i want to do it in a way that was us and you know that's something i'm always conscious of when i do um bring things like that into it because it's not good enough if it's just oh it sounds a bit like that that's boring you know if it sounds a bit like that but it's a good song then that's okay you know but it has to be it's a you know a meaningful song and, and write a hoodoo guru song first you know and that yeah. then that just becomes like a little bit extra sauce in there for people to enjoy well, so Dave, I think you may know that the the podcast, the reason for this podcast is that uh, there is a lot of new music coming out from, let, let's just say, those core 80s, as we call them, new wave bands, right. a lot of new music, and they're not getting any airplay. And it's really a shame. Um, how are audiences reacting to your new songs? Great. Very good. Um, that's something that we're very happy about because we we did a... We, we have been doing some shows, you know, there's been problems obviously with touring with COVID and, you know, we've had the Omicron wave just as you have and there's, there's been tours, you know, Torpedo. And, in fact, our album tour got cancelled because our drummer Nick caught COVID a few weeks ago We had, and uh, we've had to per- postpone that to September now. Um, but we were doing some shows, this tour that, that was um, a bunch of different bands and, and an artist called Jimmy Barnes who used to be in a band called Cold Chisel who was headlining yeah. and we, we, were, we were second on the bill for that. And we did a we did a whole bunch of shows last year with him, and uh, we had to cancel half the tour, like the the main two big states, Victoria and New South Wales, where I live, um, New South Wales. Uh, those two states went into lockdown for Delta, and so the tour got basically derailed halfway through. And so we picked those dates up this year, but we were playing a few of the new songs during that tour, and um, uh, and you know before the album came out. So people had had no idea of a couple of the songs, and they'd be going over Gangbusters, and oh good, we just played the other night, um, and uh, same thing. We had four four new songs in the set, and um, it was terrific. Um, oh yeah, fantastic. so no, these, I mean that that is something about these songs that seem to be they seem to kind of capture the um, uh, yeah they got they got something going on that that they feel good in concert, and and it's really hard for us because. We would love to play all of them, but we just know, unfortunately, we you know we can't because we uh, we don't play three-hour shows. <laughs> so, we would have to probably to fit in all the other stuff that people want us to do. So, oh, so yes. we, um, we but we did do um, a, a live telecast over the net um, before the day before the album came out, where we did the whole album live, and that was a really cool thing for us because you know it's unusual to. Um, have the first time people hear us on to hear the live version rather than the recorded version. So uh, we want to do that so that people could hear that, in fact, these were bona fide Hoodoo Gurus as a group playing songs. They're yeah. not manufactured in the studio and tricked up with lots of decoration and, you know, and fancy overdub production that can kind of sometimes hide the truth oh, in yeah. a recording. Yeah. You know, you think it's a great record and you go to the band live, you go, you know what, it doesn't sound so good to me now. Well, it's the same. same song. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it's, a, it's a strange one to mention, but I, I got 
a very strong example of that for me was Tina Turner, mm. uh, the song We Don't Need Another Hero from the Mad yeah. Thunderdome movie, big yeah, hit yeah. around the world. And, um, oh, no, actually, what I mean, I don't want to fight anymore from the, uh, the, the, the movie about her, you know, the uh, what love got to do with it movie, you know, right, about her right. life with Ike Turner and all that. Um, and I really like, I actually didn't mind that song, but when I saw it in concert, that song just fell flat as a tag. And I thought, what's wrong with this song? It seemed like it was pretty good on the radio. But yeah. it just was, it was just kind of like, just kind of didn't do anything, you know. As, yeah. And I think that really is the, the, um, honesty of live where even though you know they might have all instruments overdubbing all these things but for some reason the truth is a much more it's much more apparent in a live situation oh yeah uh yeah because even you know down the internet i mean it's it as well you know like a lot i'm sure that slightly disguises the truth a bit because it's it's tends to put a slight film across things but in in i think there's something that happens live that is actually um slightly spiritual oh and yeah I, I think there's an energy that flows between the performer and the artist and vice and back the other way that enhances each other's contribution and and feeling and and it's um as old as time i guess that whole phenomenon you know people around the fire singing whatever making music um but i think there is a it may be kind of sort of maybe some kind of you know astral plane thing or something i'm not sure oh yeah I'm not a religious person, but I think there is some kind of metaphysical thing go, that happens there, whether it's, and um, maybe, well, I, that, you. you know, I don't know. So, so maybe some of those songs, you know, the real the reality of the song will come through and the songs that are kind of a little bit more kind of, you know, transparent sort of become, it becomes, they become even more transparent. Oh, I know exactly where you're, what you're talking about. There, there's a specific song by Tears for Fears that every time I see them live, I, I at the certain point of the song, I close my eyes and I just become part of that experience. Uh, right. I think that's what music does. Now, which song is it's, that? Wouldn't be the big one, like Shout or something like that, or no, it, um, it, it Mad actually, World, which it, I love no, both actually, those songs. It, it is Shout, I believe, and there's a guitar solo in there for that that just really moves me. And I just close my eyes whenever I hear it, and it just kind of puts me in a, in a, a certain belief in, in life. But, but do you make the song better is what I think happens. You know, maybe does that thing of you actually help him? I, it may do. Uh, I'm wondering, though, like a song that I might suspect would have that same sort of slightly not being as good in the reality would be Sowing the Seeds of Love. Does that well? Does that one yeah, take off in concert? Because I can't. Because to me, it sounds a bit like a big production with kind of like yeah, not as that much. That one's more difficult. That one's more difficult right. because they did put so much production behind that yeah. whole album, but especially that song. Yeah, that it's yeah. hard to re- reproduce on stage. Yeah, it wasn't so much reproducing. I'm not not sure the actual song underneath it all is that compelling. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, oh, and it doesn't matter how much you trick it up. You could fool people with production and make them kind of like it's like adding sort of icing sugar on top, you know. Right. But if the actual right. cake is kind of not that substantial, it sort of you can fool the palate on the, <laughs> on the record, but maybe I don't think you can fool the palate live. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Steve. Anyway. All right. Steve. No, no offense to Tears of Fears. It could be a great yeah, song. No, no, I haven't, I haven't all, seen them live, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, do you have do you have a personal song that you like to perform live? Well, off the new album, on the new album, I love playing a song called "Don't Try to Save My Soul," yeah. because in in a way, it's kind of my my biography. 
<laughs> it's, it's my my uh, the, the the mistakes I've made in my life and the thing the questions I've never answered in my life are sort of laid out there. Um, you know, it's not too specific. Not it's not like you know book chapter and verse of everything I've ever thought or ever done. But um, it's kind of got some grand themes there, uh, and um, ultimately sort of settled on the side of like, well, you know, whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing, I'm doing it. So that has to be the answer. You know, I mean, you know, I and I can't really. Big, you know, take it back. I don't. I yeah. don't regret it. I guess. Um, yeah. So you know, just it says I just did what I had to do. You know, and that's all I've done. You know, uh, but I love singing. It's got. It's got. It's a really powerful song and kind of exciting and um, reminds me a little bit of the Gun Club. Is something I was thinking of when I wrote the riff. Um, and I love the Gun Club. They don't get enough. No one talks about the Gun Club enough. They don't talk about the Gun Club enough. That is true. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we love the Cramps. Cramps people talk about more. But the gun club have almost sort of, you know, gone by the wayside. People don't mention them anymore, which yeah. is a shame because they're brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Oh, yeah. uh, so, Dave, you you obviously have a, a, a big following in your homeland of Australia. What yeah. other country surprises you with the fans? Well, I think everyone that follows us would know that we have a very strong uh, supporter base in Brazil, which is it was a was, – and – that was a surprise when we discovered it. That was we only found out about that in the nineties. Really, uh, we we sort of heard rumours in the eighties, uh, but it became more obvious in the early nineties. We, we were touring in, in the states, and uh, Brazilian fans would come to some of those shows and would say, "You must come to Rio. Everyone loves you down there." And we say, "Well, great, get someone to invite us. We'd love to come." Um, and when we got there, eventually, it was mind blowing um, really? just how passionate they were. So that was a real surprise. Um, as far like Spain is a great place. I mean, they, they, Spain is sometimes they're they're a bit funny on us because they want us to be more power pop than we chose to be. You know, because <laughs> they some so they have they are quite um, strong on power pop. They're very very uh, yeah passionate about that. But we're yeah. not power pop. We have that in us. But it, you know, we don't we aren't we don't label ourselves power pop. We don't label ourselves anything. We you know we got a bit of metal. We got a bit of punk. We got a bit of glam. We got a bit of power pop. It is just a, a, a mixture of stuff that because we have such broad tastes and we've never tried to be pure anything. Just, just uh, if, it, if it sounds good to us and, and we, you know, we're happy. You know, we don't, we don't have to, we don't feel we have to conform to an sort of formula of, of what we should be. And we don't try to narrow our focus. I mean, which is our strength, but it's also our weakness because it means that you know some people just get alienated by those things that don't belong <laughs> together in their minds. You know, and they just find it too hard to reconcile. Um, we don't well, have that they, problem. They don't know what they're missing then. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, we've always, you know, obviously uh, the U.S. has been a very strong uh, place for us. You know, we we yes. focus a lot of our energy uh, on the U.S. from our first album on. We did a, a tour of the U.S. on our first album, and we've been there nearly every album ever since. I think we got a little bit lost in the uh, since of reform. We weren't able to go back because often, we, uh, you know, uh, we only been back a couple of times since since then because we broke up for six years in the, in the late nineties. Uh, yeah. In fact, we broke up forever. It was it was forever at the time. But um, uh, I wrote some songs that were obviously Hoodoo Guru songs, and I couldn't make them work with other people. I was trying them with, and it was only when we got asked to play a a show just to headline this big sort of Australian music festival, um, and it was a real sort of honour to be asked to do this and to come out of retirement with this one show. We did that, and that was after four years of being broken up, and it was just a, like a one off. But the feeling and the and the the, as, a, as I say, that kind of spirit that, that we have as a band 
which is beyond just the four people that all know the same songs and, and you know, know how we play with it, you know, which, you know, it's, it's more than just that. It's actually some, something much more spiritual. And um, that was so strong. It was like we just stepped off stage the day before, and, you know, and, and to me the, the message was the band was still alive and living thing and raring to go. It's just that we wouldn't let it out of the, out of the, you know, the cage and, you know, it was my choice to not do that. And it took me a couple of years to kind of get over myself because I didn't want to, you know, go back on my word and have people say, oh, it's just a stunt, you know, to, to you know, make make people miss you and then make more money when you come back out of retirement, you know. Which a was, reunion. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, the first, and so that, that was actually a disincentive to reform because I didn't want to have them say that, you know. And eventually after a couple of years I thought, you know what, this is stupid. It's, I've got this. The, the metaphor I use I, I, is actually I'd like having a, a fantastic sports car in your garage. It's all bright and shiny, and you know it's going to go really fantastic on the highway. But you've got it up on blocks, and you've got the wheels sort of <laughs> taken off, so you can't drive it. You make sure you can't, you know, get it out of there. And it's like, what are you doing with this machine wasted? You know, there locked away where no one can enjoy it, you know, especially you. So eventually, I just thought, you know what. We're going to play shows, and if you want us to stay broken up, just don't come. That's fine. You keep keep the memories you had, and we, you know, we won't we won't pollute those for you. They'll they'll be perfect for your to see us and how you thought we should be, and never, you know. But um, anyone that thinks we've got something to offer now and have you know come back, and that was you know, and of course, making new albums were part of that because um, it's not about just playing shows and you know, you know, reliving your past. It's all about contributing, moving forward, and contributing. And unfortunately, we've been stuck. For a while, not having done a new album with, until this one, we had ten years, or actually twelve years, I think it is, um, and that was because of a whole lot of stuff going on with Mark wanting to retire. He didn't tell us for a few years, and then when he did tell us, it took a few years to be able to actually finally retire. And, and we weren't even sure if we'd continue after he left because, again, of that that whole chemistry thing of whether we would have anything as good as that with someone else. You know, we we were so yeah. bonded together, and that was a that was a problem. So that's why it took us so long to finally get around to. Um, you know, I get someone that worked for us and to be certain that was we want to go that way and and uh, eventually well, we did. did. Yeah, yeah. You did fantastic. I mean, I, I, I it's one of my favorite albums of the year. I just think Thank it's you. brilliant. And, and I, I can't stop listening to it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, people, it's funny, people have been saying to us, which the biggest surprise really that we've had is that people are saying it sounds like your first uh, you know, first or second album, you know, and I don't hear that, you know, it doesn't, like they, they're, it reminds me of our early part of our career. And I, and there's nothing I did to sort of try and recall that. Um, yeah. But I guess my reference to the gun club might be something because they were around when we started, <laughs> you know, and we were listening to them. But um, that's the only one, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, and the certain, and the songs, you know, they're about things that happen to me now and things that matter to me now. And so, you know, it wasn't in any way a throwback for me, but people are feeling that it's classic gurus and it's weird because, you know, for us it's brand new and where we're going rather than where we've been. But, hey, you know, we are the same band. You know, we don't, we haven't become, you know, as you know from the members being pretty much, you know, very constant. But also, you know, what we like in music hasn't changed and we don't, and, and the old songs still work. You know, it's, it's weird about, you know, um, our band that in that songs from our first album are still very much loved in Australia and other parts of the world. And Absolutely. when you play them, they don't, they don't feel like musty old songs that are so antique. They actually still feel like a rock and roll song played by this band right in front of me now. 
that, you know, could have been written yesterday by that band. It doesn't feel like they're quaint. Completely agree. Steve? So, so uh, Dave, the last question I have is more kind of a selfish one for my on my behalf. <laughs> uh, the, Gurus is one of those, the Gurus is one of those bands that I've always wanted to see live. I have not yet had the fortune right. to see you guys live. T-Bone has saw you, saw you guys once. We actually had tickets to see you back in 2019. Yeah. And then I think you're, and then you guys rescheduled some shows for 2020 in the U.S. or 2021 in the U.S. Yes. And also got, ultimately got canceled because of, well, what was going on. Any yeah. plans or any hint that you might be able to be doing a U.S. tour or coming to visit the U.S.? Well, it's, a, it's plans and hint, but nothing concrete. I mean, our te- in, we've got a funny year this year. I mean, as I said, we just lost a, a tour we were supposed to do in Australia for our album. It was, it was a short one, but a week before Nick, our drummer, got COVID, so that got cancelled as well or postponed. Um, and there's another reason, like we actually weren't going to be having much time to tour this year anyway because Nick's got a, a, an actual real job in the world as well as being in the Hoodoo Gurus. And... Uh, <laughs> But and that job is actually working uh, in a in a very major art gallery here, and he's he's kind of a very important person there. He's um, he basically run. He, he's not the administrator, but he's the person that hangs the art, supervises that you know, hanging it, installing it, shipping it, and receiving it. He's he basically is the 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 biggest art roadie in the in in the state. And this is a very important gallery, and you know that they, they've they're just done a big exhibition on Matisse, for example. You know, each painting of Matisse is probably worth $100 million, you know, and this, yeah. this is like room after room after room of Matisse's. Um, and there's a, many of these artworks have never left France before. So, like, he, this is a very big deal. And they've just, they've just put a whole new building next door to their, their, their old building. And so it's almost doubling the size of their gallery. And um, they're going to be, there's three months he's going to be uh, occupied installing the art into this new, this new building. And um, uh, we can't tour while that's happening because we could probably get away and do one show on a weekend if we're lucky, but as far as going away for a few weeks, not possible. And originally that, that was going to be um, starting about now or maybe in a, in a, few, in a few weeks. It was supposed to be not available for a few months. And so we sort of planned the middle of the year we weren't, we weren't going to be touring. So we've got no dates planned now. But as it turns out, of course, building takes longer than they expected. So the end of this year has actually now been ruled out three months after September. So basically, we're not leaving Australia this year, but next year we have no plans, and we would love to come to the US and to Canada and to Brazil and to Europe. We want to do everything we can. So that next year is what that's what we're focusing on. We're making we're making serious inquiries. There's talk about already about some suggestion of something in Brazil in early in the year and perhaps in February even, and then we, while we, when we get to Brazil, because Australia is a long way away from everywhere, by the way. <laughs> so, And we go almost over the South Pole to get to Brazil. That's what we do. We fly r- really down Southern Ocean uh, because the world's round, you know, and we sort of go, that's a straight line for us. We get down to Terra del Fuego in Chile and we fly up uh, the South America and get up to Brazil that way. So that, And then so once we're up there, it's a lot closer to the US from there for us. So we'll just stay stay away that's and just right. jump up there and come up. So that's the that's idea. The so, we, so we're hoping that maybe if we're lucky, it could be like April, May or something next year if we're lucky. So uh, that's the We that's would be the, thrilled. We would love to. We want to come back. We definitely will have to come back. And uh, we are really okay. upset that we had to cancel the tour. Uh, and I hope we can get to a lot more places than we even planned last time because that was uh, too short and sharp. We've actually got Nick saying he's going to take 
an extended leave of absence from his work so he can do it rather than because he was going to do it during his vacation time last time. So now he's going to, because he's going to be working so hard this year, he says, I'll be able to take, you know, a sabbatical and uh, have, have enough time <laughs> to do all these things we want to do. So that's kind of our hope. Well, like Steve said, uh, it's a little bit selfish, but we hope that Nick will see the importance of the gurus over art. Oh, no, he, he does. It's just that, we, you know, he's, he's younger than us. So he's got, to, he, and he has, he's got to keep his family fed and his house, you know, a roof over his head. So unfortunately, we can't promise him, you know, 20 years of hoodoo gurus because we aren't going to be you know, around that long. It's not possible. For us to be playing this in 20 years' time. So, you know, I'm sorry to give you that bad news, but I'm not, I don't think you'd be surprised by that. But uh, so Nick possibly could be playing for 20 more years or certainly, you know, 15 or 10. And, and um, you know, so I don't think we can give him a life in, in, in music that would be able to replace the work that he has, unfortunately. Uh, much as we'd All love right. to be able to say, Nick, give up your life in the art world and just <laughs> become a roving musician like us. Uh, you know, so he's he's got to play it a little bit safer than that, and that's and at the same time, also his job is fantastic. He's it's a, he loves art. It's a it's an amazing gallery. I mean, I love art too, and you know, it's an interesting job. So why would he give that up? He can have both, and fair fair enough. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Dave, I I can't thank you uh, enough for set, sit, spending time to sit down with us on this interview. Me and thank people, you very much. I love the album. Cannot recommend it enough. Where can people go to buy this album that's going to really benefit the gurus? Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, it's, uh, this is just, we're just, it's been quite difficult for people to be able to buy physical copies of the album um, because it's only being uh, sold physically in Australia, CDs, and the vinyl, by the way, still hasn't arrived. We are, right. It's been pressed over in, in Eastern Europe and because of all the problems in the world with the pandemic and obviously now with the price of oil and all sorts of there's all sorts of logistics issues happening all over the planet with the transport and it's just delayed everything but you know we've had that on order for like eight or maybe nine ten months now anyway whatever it's been a long time and um it's finally arriving here and people had to put they put in orders through our website which is hoodogurus.net there's a store there you can buy merchandise there including some fantastic uh, uh beer coasters that have that are replicas of our album covers to set of eight, I think it's fantastic. It's really good. Um, they're one of the best things we've ever had out. I've got to be honest. But anyway, um, uh, there's there's, but they they be buy they could buy the album there. But of course, it's very expensive because it's got to be shipped on top of the, the price of the actual vinyl. So it gets kind of get up gets up there. Even though the Australian dollar is kind of, you get a benefit there with the, with that exchange rate. But uh, it is pricey. But we have good news to announce soon. I hope that we're going to be having. having store uh, some some uh, stock distributed in the u.s by oh, a distributor there so hopefully you've got to order it from the u.s and save money that way so at, at least i think it'll be the vinyl i'm not sure about the cd yes. but um the vinyl is fantastic because it's actually a double vinyl album and there's three extra songs on it because uh we because we couldn't fit onto one vinyl album we just thought it'd be too too quiet a cut you know with that's the way vinyl is physically so we, we decided to spread this, the album out over two discs and therefore we had room to put a few more songs on. So there's nice. a, a non-album single, a song called uh, Hung Out to Dry was, is on there. Um, and then there's two two covers that were recorded, a Beatles song and a Dylan song, which are pretty oh, fiery. Nice. Yeah, okay. yeah. So um, and they're, pre- they're pretty fun. So that's the vinyl album, it's double vinyl album with Carried of the Gods. But um, streaming, the streaming version, the CD version are identical. 
And that is the album proper in our minds, but it's just for those people that, you know, want a little bit extra and want to, you know, get some vinyl, well, it's a little bonus there for you as well. And hopefully, as I say, soon, hopefully soon enough people are able to get that uh, through our distributor there, which I think is Virtual Records is the name of the label, oh, okay. Virtual. Virtual. Because we used to work with them before, but uh, we've got a worldwide deal now through um, Universal, and uh, but they're allowing us to use virtual still for the for the vinyl in the US because we haven't been able to get it out over there. So we we might do a, a little side deal for that. Oh, very good. nice. Good. Well, again, uh, Dave, we can't thank you enough for this. Um, we wish you the best of luck. Again, I love the album. Uh, anybody listening to this, if you haven't bought it yet, I highly recommend it. And again, Dave, we thank you and, and hope that everything goes very well for you. Thanks, T-Bone. Thanks, Steve. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. And I uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you in person soon. So we feel the magic. we got to feel the magic. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All right. Hey, thanks, Dave. Cheers, guys.